In the Booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And welcome, everybody. In the booth, good to have you along with us on this Monday. Kind of a light week of shows, so we're going to make the most of it while we're here with you. Lots going on this time of year, of course, with the basketball postseason coming up and with the dome renovation, of course, nothing happening here. So uh, might as well head out on the road. And that's what's happening with the Orange uh, men's basketball team. Lacrosse is on the road this weekend, and uh, we're going to tell you all about it over the course of our program. Tommy is uh, here at the board, and Brian is here riding shotgun as always. We're on Twitch. You know where you are, and you can uh, join us uh, certainly by phone, 315 437 7644. That's 3154-ESPN44, if you would like to chime in there. And uh, on the uh, Twitch app at Q Sports Talk, twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk, all the ways that you can uh, interact with the program. We're going to talk lax later, as uh, Seth mentioned. Brian will tee up here in a moment. The Orange are number one, deservedly so. And we'll visit with our friend Denise Shroff of uh, ESPN, kind of their lead uh, play-by-play man and host for lacrosse. A uh, good way to uh, get going there on the, the week that is coming up. The Orange and Hopkins. Uh, Cuse undefeated. Hopkins just 1-3. Uh, and three. That one is Saturday. Lots happening on the weekend, of course. Orange men's basketball travels to play an early midweek game uh, this week. It's tomorrow night at uh, Boston College. Women are off to the ACC tournament with a loss yesterday. They'll play Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Therefore, no show for us uh, either Tuesday or or Thursday, and we'll try to uh, keep you abreast of that as best we can over the course of it. So that all being said, let's take a mm-hmm. brief look back, Brian. And uh, It's funny what makes moments for people and what sticks out because all the buildup and all the stuff that we talked about uh, going into the basketball game, last one under the current dome roof, the, in air quotes, ironically, last place, North Carolina, uh, in the dome, but still a team very capable of, of beating Syracuse, which obviously they did. John Wallace, etc. I think uh, this one's going to be remembered for Jimmy Fallon, <laughs> and uh, for better or for worse, and, and that was uh, kind of the impact. And uh, you had the maybe the best seat in the house from an observation standpoint uh-huh. to see just exactly what was going down there. Did they play a basketball <laughs> game? I'm still. I think I saw Cole Anthony. That guy looked pretty good. He's good. Um, the rest of it, I, I I literally have no idea what happened in the game, and I was sitting there. I'm quite certain I was there. I honestly don't know what was happening to my right either, and I was watching <laughs> the whole thing. I mean, that was... I saw wraps coming out. They had delivery. They didn't quite make it all the way down to all the seats in the back row, but uh, there was there was a lot going on, and I, I don't know what it all was, but I'm certain it was something like... What's the the Supreme Court definition of uh, you'll know it when you see it? I, that was definitely something. I don't know what, but my goodness, it it definitely all happened. And uh, Jimmy Fallon, you can understand why he is one of the higher paid entertainers on uh, planet Earth because he knows how to do it. And Tom Brady is just a very famous human being and carries himself like it because it was uh, everything you might expect that it would have been. 
and those are two really, really famous people, and when anybody was walking by there, they would lose their ever-loving mind. Amazing. It was unbelievable. To me, the most amazing thing to see was people that were on the court for a different purpose, just finding diverted. their way to come over. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't yeah, even yeah. keep a Check straight line. Yeah, charity. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the alumni, and like the line, the line bent toward those guys. I mean, it was like a it, it, maybe that's what celebrity magnetism is. <laughs> it, it's it, exactly right. There's absolutely something uh, to that. You can get uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson on that uh, to figure it out. But it's. Uh, Absolutely, people sort of breaking the alumni line to come over and uh, just a memorable oh, day Dave in a Bink's lot of ways. Oh, back in town. That's not got to go. <laughs> yeah, see you later. Um, and I, I'll tell you right now, I'm already over. I don't even want to get into the slightest what Tom Brady said, who he said it to, what have you. Uh, the cameras, it's funny because we know a lot of those camera guys, Brian, that's their job. They get right up in the grill, and mm-hmm. certainly Tom Brady and Jimmy Fallon and Julian Edelman are, are used to that type of thing uh, happening, and it's it's part of the deal. But if you thought that Tom Brady was going to divulge his next uh, team and his uh, offseason intentions, uh, you thought he was just going to say that to a camera without a reporter in the middle of the dome on Saturday afternoon, uh, you thought wrong. So whatever he said and that you're interpreting to mean he's staying in New England, he's going somewhere else, he's with Mike Vrabel, he's with – he's not. Okay, he may be in the end, but he's, he's, it's not because he said it or mumbled something or didn't or whatever you're trying to interpret uh, from his brief on-camera time the other day. Maybe that was Tom making his ESPN debut so he can do uh, sure. color on Monday nights this year. Maybe that's it. The breaking news. Now that Tony Romo, we're going to talk about that later, Tony has, uh, is going to scrape through on about a million dollars a game – uh, this uh, coming year on uh, CBS. So uh, that's in Tommy's Do We Care, which we will get to. If you want to join us by phone, you can do it, 315-437-7644. Had a feeling all along that the game could play out that way. If you didn't get that North Carolina was good, you just haven't really paid attention to the material they have on their team. Cole Anthony is really, really good and controlled the game. He had the ball on the string and uh, – and dominated, and Garrison Brooks did his thing. And what I'm afraid is it's going to obscure some pretty incredible performances for Syracuse. Buddy Beheim scored 22 without really being much of a three-point threat. Barama Sidibe has been out of his mind. You know, it's, it's out-of-body experience for him. Back-to-back double-doubles, best game he's ever played in the Dome was uh, Saturday. And so let's not lose sight of that. But the problem is, obviously, with the loss, uh, the Orange are not going to the NCAA tournament unless they win the ACC tournament, it doesn't make these next two games irrelevant because they'll still come in for seeding, etc. But the task is so tall right now that even if they are able to achieve it, it's really going to come down to just getting hot next week in Greensboro. This week, the games at BC and at Miami are perhaps to build a little momentum or you know to play out the string, but they, they don't have a ton of consequence at the moment. What's weird is just the way both the ACC has gone, and it's mirrored it in the men's and the women's this year where the leagues just have not been as good as normal. Uh, they have not had major, major, no-brainer national title threats. Well, I was going to say, it depends or on the, what you would say is good, because some would say that the parity is good, or that the idea that anybody can beat anybody shows that the conference is strong. Right. Or I'll say they have not been as, you know, metrically as good there you go. for the NCAA tournament, where whatever seed the men end up with and the women are eighth, There'll be seeds that, in a normal year, you might not be in the tournament, but you wouldn't have to win the tournament to get into the tournament. Where this year, both teams are going down there, 
and that is the only way you're getting into the big show after that is by winning the whole darn thing. Right. And it's just it's next to impossible to think that you're going to go win four in a row. Not It's not literally impossible. It's, it's not so far beyond the realm that it's uh, laugh it off. But you're talking about winning four in a row against quality teams. It's difficult. As we said, going into this last stretch of the regular season, the remaining five games, Syracuse head-to-head can beat any of those teams. I think Syracuse, if they played North Carolina again, could win the game. I think North Carolina is probably a better team, and they've got going into Saturday they had four conference wins all year. Now, North Carolina might make some damage now that they're getting together uh, in in the tournament in Greensboro. I think the tough part for Syracuse was to consistently bring it every night to where they could win the last five. I think was too much to ask. They very well could win these next two sweep uh, Boston College in this regular season. They beat them by twenty six in the Dome in January, or go to Miami and win. Miami is an up-and-down uh, type team. Wouldn't stun uh, anybody to Syracuse, see Syracuse win there, but uh, now it's already you know kind of past the point where uh, you're going to pull off some sort of run uh, to get you into the tournament, short of probably winning the whole thing uh, in Greensboro. So that's uh, what we will deal with next week. Lacrosse dominated on uh, Friday night, got the weekend mm-hmm. started again this last weekend under the uh, dome roof before they uh, really get serious uh, with construction. And, and Brian, obviously the idea, we mentioned this last year, Tucker Dordovic, he's a difference maker. It's a reason that uh, it was a big loss last year. He has come out firing, and uh, right now, we'll talk with Anisha about it, uh, this is as good as it gets for uh, the start of the season. 4-0, first time since 2016. Polls come out this morning, number one in the country, first time since 2017, but none of that's, I mean, none of that, that's great, but none of that's new in the in the Syracuse uh, lacrosse world big picture. But this first midfield line, you're, I mean, it's very early in the year, but you're starting to have historic thoughts on it, what these guys are doing when you look at Jamie Tremboli and Brendan uh, Curry and Tucker Dordovic. In the last two games, this is not three games, two games, all three of those guys have had a five-goal game. Five goals for an attackman's a lot, but it happens. Five goals for a midfielder does not happen normally. And all three of them have done it in two weeks, which means last game two of them did it. I mean, it's wild what they're doing. And you start thinking about, all right, best midfield lines. Obviously, in Syracuse history, uh, and Kyle had, I mean, the best midfield line is uh, Gary and Paul Gate, and Rodney Dumpson happened to be the third guy. He's All-American all in his own right. But it would have been Gary and Paul Gate and a broomstick. Right. Would, it would have been the best midfielder line in history. These guys are not the Gates, but... Your opposing defense is like, today we're stopping him. The other two guys are like, yeah, have great. You go stop him. That's that's sweet. We're going to score a lot of goals. The next week they're like, wow, that guy had a great game. we got to stop him. <laughs> right. And the other two guys are like, oh, okay. And that's what it's been so far. And it, it's wild to watch how it just sort of bounces around week to week. Oh, you're stopping me this possession? Yeah, well, this guy's going to go score a goal. Have fun. Uh-oh, he just scored. Let's go stop him. Okay, we'll take care of it. And it's, it's fun to watch because they're playing off each other so well and – they're all playing with such a high level of confidence. And what I'm saying out loud, they know that's what's happening to defenses, and I think they're reveling in it. And, hey, the rest of the team's pretty darn good, too, so that that helps. But it, it's setting up to be a, a, a fun year. ACC is going to be a blast because all the teams are good, and uh, it's going to be a really high level of, of lacrosse, I think, the rest of the season. Well, it's been a lot of fun to watch, and uh, they're explosive and and, you know, the schedule's going to be there. They're kind of going on the road, obviously, here the rest of the way, except for the couple of games at uh, CNS. But uh, should have a lot of fun with it and uh, got a lot of answers. They seem to be uh, 
kind of more uh, proof, I guess, or, or more well protected against uh, droughts or slumps or, or that type of thing. So I uh, can't wait to see what comes of the uh, Syracuse men's lacrosse season and the Syracuse women's lacrosse season. We touched base on that a little bit on uh, Friday. Uh, one last kind of word on that when we come back. Then Anish Shroff will join us from uh, ESPN talking lax. You can talk hoops if you'd like at 315-437-7644. Brought to you, as always, by the Hoffman Sausage Company. Born in Germany, raised in Syracuse. Hoffman bringing the meats since 1879. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. In the Booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. Welcome back, everybody, as we join you in the booth on ESPN Radio here in Syracuse. It is, as always, brought to you by the Hoffman Sausage Company, born in Germany, raised in Syracuse. We've got uh, Anish Schroff coming up on the uh, show in just a few moments talking uh, lacrosse, and uh, certainly calls welcome at 315-437-7644. I just wanted to put a quick bow on this uh, women's lacrosse uh, transport to Maryland. If you didn't join us last week, you're not aware of it, there was to be a Friday afternoon game in the Dome, 3 o'clock. Maryland, I don't know at what time, but must have on Thursday at some point, maybe it was prior to Thursday, but indicates its intention to not come to Syracuse at the suggestion of the Department of Travel or Safety on the University of Maryland campus in College Park. It wasn't announced until... 1030 at night by Syracuse that the game's not going to happen in the Dome. Syracuse is going to travel to College Park and play at noon. So the athletic director at Maryland citing student-athlete safety says we're not going to send our team to Syracuse. Obviously, their forecasts were inaccurate or overblown or for the wrong geography or something because we know it turned out to be totally fine here. Gary Gate, as I understand it, offers and says, okay, you're not going to come here. We'll We'll go there. Syracuse gets on a bus and goes and plays at Maryland and wins 10-5, which is an historic win for Syracuse. They've beaten Maryland about once in the previous 25 times. Syracuse is better than Maryland this year. Syracuse is a national title contender. Maryland probably is two, but a little less of one. They haven't lost two in a row under this coach. (laughs) Now they've lost three in a row. So this is historic, the uh, little downturn uh, for Maryland. Huge win for the Orange. And I'm not actually here to gloat that much about the win. We, we can do that, but to me it's not really so much about the results of the game. Uh, you win some, you lose some. And I think it's fantastic um, for Gary Gate that they won. He ends up looking great. He's able to continue to sell the idea, we'll play anyone, anywhere, or to be the best, you got to beat the best, blah, blah, blah. Good for him and good for the team, and it's an extraordinary win and that they're on the right path to uh, you know be a serious national title contender this year. It just still stings a little bit the way uh, that was handled. And we're not privy to whether there's negotiation, whether there's more to come. So this could end up, it will go away, obviously. But it could end up being totally fine in the end. My beef come Saturday is, okay, here's the game on Big Ten Network Plus, which is a subscription-oriented service. I thought maybe, hey, Maryland, can you waive that for this time given – the idea that Syracuse had to come to you and blah, blah, blah. And not only did they not do that, they didn't respond, which I think is not professional. That all being said, 
if Syracuse gets some sort of gain here, or at least the trade-off is, okay, well, now you got to come to Syracuse twice or however they work that out, which maybe is too, still too to be determined, then it becomes a wash in the end because if this all along was a Maryland home game, there would be no expectation that you could watch it for free or, or any of that. It's just that they didn't uh, acknowledge, I think, the inconvenience of what was going down here. Maryland, in its slightest defense, did host college game day on Saturday, so they had a lot of wrinkles and manpower you know, pulled away for that and that type of thing. I just thought the way that this was uh, dealt with by a place that obviously, historically, is very good and very professional uh, in this case looked bad for everybody concerned, and uh, Gary Gayton and the uh, Syracuse Orange women do come out on top, and uh, it was about the best possible outcome for them. I say I'm out of slightest defense for Maryland after all these years, but um, it was my understanding on Friday night uh, there was a sixth grader that sang the national anthem at the men's lacrosse game Friday night, and my goodness, she was outstanding. Couldn't have been better. Great. Uh, it's my understanding, this is Friday night now, that the sixth grader makes her home up by the Thousand Islands. Tug Hill? That'll well, be through. north. North, yeah. north though, you got to go all the way through. you the, the hill, tug, piles of snow, <laughs> north, all the way north. Made it there. Beautiful voice. So, and that was in the direction where the storm was supposed to be and still still pulled it off. But Maryland refused to make the journey. I guess there was a lot of uh, social media uh, content from our players' parents on a Friday mm. making, well, because they were all, it was. I don't really follow laxmom.com, unfortunately. Uh, I, 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 thankfully, I had the person with me in the booth Friday night who stays on top of those things. Kyle Federley is the okay. equipment manager for the women's lacrosse team, so he's apprised of the the comings and goings of the team and their their relatives, but he was informing me of such about how everyone was posting pictures of the the clear skies and sunny roads on 81 South yes. toward, toward Maryland. But uh, apparently there was a great, because uh, it was also going to be alumni weekend for uh, the Syracuse players. So a lot of alums had been planning on coming from wherever they are to Syracuse and made the journey down there. So I guess there was a great contingent of Orange fans at Maryland, a few hundred that uh, had themselves a good old time uh, in counting down and celebrating the victory by the end. That's a tough aspect of it. It's not Maryland's fault that the Dome is going under construction and therefore it was senior day and all of that. But it then makes it a bigger political football, a bigger nut, if you will, than to sort of give that game up. And I don't dispute that resistance was put up uh, by Syracuse. Uh, I think at the end, their own forfeiture was not an option. The only option, because that's just not how contracts work in those types of sports in a non-league environment. My understanding is the only options basically were do this, drive down there, and play, and they won, which is fantastic, or just not have the game. I don't know that either program really needed the game, but Gary Gate obviously feels pretty confident about his team, felt like there was an opportunity to go down there and win, and he was right about that. And I think when all that happened, the Syracuse players then wanted to play the game even more. Yeah, it got off to a, a first half was 4 nothing. Yeah, I mean, the Syracuse players, I mean, they were... You get fired up to play that game anyway. Maryland's been the best team in the sport for 15 years and in really the history of the sport. Syracuse players wanted to play the game before any of this happened, knew they were the better team before any of this happened. Then they really wanted to play the game when this happened. So good good for them because you never know. When emotion gets going like that, it can, it can throw you in a different direction. They came out and got them early. Maryland made a little run early in the second half and then Emily Harris, Chuck and Company, close to that late. She had five goals. Maryland had five goals. So uh, Syracuse went down there and at least on the field uh, proved the point in that way too, which historically is exceedingly hard to do. Yes. Uh, this year, a, a different case. But 
hey, you take them when you can get them against them, and they had to go out of their way to do it. And thank goodness after all that that we're not talking about something weird happening and a, a game being lost under confusing circumstances or something like that because you'd hate to have that hanging over the rest of their season. But now at least they have the win and they can uh, move on to continuing to play the toughest schedule in the country. Right, right, which they ha- it probably would have been even without this, obviously, and they're going to be nomadic uh, this year because of the dome construction and because of Gary's creativity, frankly. Uh, I totally am with him on this and, and wish I was as thoughtful that he's saying, hey, there's no sense playing at CBA, with all due respect, a couple of these games. Let's play them in Bradenton and let's play them in Dallas, and, and uh, that's what he's doing. So th- those are really good ideas, good opportunities for everybody concerned, and uh, and hopefully it works out. Certainly he has recruiting in mind when he does that type of thing. So uh, interesting stuff there. We can get an East Shroff slots on that as we continue. He'll be our guest on the other side. You're in the booth, brought to you by the Hoffman Sausage Company on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. In the booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. Welcome, everybody. Back in the booth. Good to have you along with us. Let's head to our Burdick Toyota guest line. Welcome in our friend Anish Shroff of ESPN. Talk a little lax on a Monday. Anish, how are you? Fellas, what's going on? Beautiful day here in the queue, and I'm not just saying that. 61 degrees. Fantastic. Well, you know, I was gonna I was gonna make the trip up, but I heard wintry conditions. <laughs> so um, funny I, I you should you start guys that to way. Do the show from my living room, but you decided not to. So we're, <laughs> we're here. We are on the phone. Well, let's gas up the. Uh, Polly's got to drive to uh, to Boston tomorrow. Maybe we can just veer off course just to get down there. What about that, Anisha, on a, a serious <laughs> level? That that's. Uh, Close to unprecedented, the idea of a team just saying, eh, you know what, we're not going to go. And it wasn't like we're talking uh, blizzard conditions or uh, coronavirus or any of that stuff. Maryland says, uh, not going to uh, head up that way. And Gary says, well, we'll gas up the bus. We'll go down and beat you. And he did. You know what I find uh, interesting? Maryland is now in the Big Ten. How many years have they been in that league now? What, six, seven years at sure. least in the uh, Big Ten? Sixth year, I think. They play games in other sports at Michigan State and Purdue and Rutgers in the winter. If men's basketball or women's basketball had a big game, that was somewhere in one of those Big Ten cities, maybe Lincoln, Nebraska, and there was the threat of inclement weather, would they have canceled? Um, You know, let's say had they played a basketball game instead of game day being in College Park, game day was at Michigan State and there was bad weather. You think men's basketball would not have showed up? So I just didn't get it. Like, what are you trying to do here? Um, Was it a power play? Did you do it because you could and it was women's lacrosse? I just don't see them doing this for other sports. Um, So it just felt a little hollow. I'm still trying to figure out what the angle was here. Was it trying to get an extra home game, but something just does not align because could you imagine if they tried to pull this in basketball given some of the places <laughs> that they have to go, especially in winter months when there is a chance of bad weather like you would have in a Syracuse or any other place in the Midwest that has teams in the Big Ten? Sure, I think you're getting at the issue where there is a distinction here between conference and non-conference. In conference games, Obviously, there's reciprocity. You're playing back and forth all the time, and there is some provision for a forfeit if you can't uphold your end of the bargain because the conference is putting the game on TV and everything else. 
in a sport like this where people don't really care about the television aspect of it and it's a you know it's on an app and whatever and it's a non-league game there's not the same level of recourse that, that as i understand it so the the choice it, it, it sounds true, like the but choice it's still is a significant game to me yes. Maryland Syracuse and women's lacrosse is a significant game those are two ranked teams those are two really good programs and you know Matt Brian you guys know this like from covering lacrosse the good teams all play each other. Non-conference, conference, that's one of the great things about the sport. We're not doing the what-if game. Well, how do we know this team would match up? For the most part, all the good teams play each other. So, again, I'm still not sure what the angle is there. And if you look at the recent history of that athletic department, uh, there's a lot of scars to point out on that athletic department's resume. So to kind of play the holier-than-thou player safety card, Coming from Maryland, uh, it just doesn't jive with me. Well, we'll say this, Anish, you've been a resident of the South here uh, for a minute, and I'm headed to your state here in a few days. I'd be more scared to go that way if there were flurries in the forecast on Wednesday <laughs> than to go this way if there was a blizzard coming. <laughs> because at least up exactly. here, they got something to push it out of the way. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of what happened, and thank goodness they won the game. But just on the men's lacrosse side things, Anish, I think after – and you vote in the poll, as I do. I think after Yale, who had been number one this week, lost on Saturday, it was kind of like, all right, who's going to be number one this week? I tossed my vote, uh, top vote to Syracuse. Penn State was right there, and three other teams got first place votes, and it's kind of shaping up to be that kind of year, it looks like, isn't it? You know, I put my poll together. I had Syracuse at two. I bumped Penn State to one. My rationale was, listen, Penn State has played Villanova, who has the win against Maryland. They... Uh, played Yale. I know they lost that game and then had a big win at Penn. So to me, those are all significant wins. Their schedule, uh, much harder than Syracuse. Would Syracuse have gone undefeated against that schedule? I don't know, but Penn State played that schedule. Cuse hasn't left the dome. That's obviously going to change. I think you're splitting hairs, though. Um, I, you know, I kind of said, all right, Penn State, Syracuse, I went back and forth. I settled on Penn State 1, Syracuse 2, just kind of based on who you played. Uh, but again, can't quibble. I think Syracuse certainly is deserving of that top spot. But when I was putting the poll together, and Brian, you probably did this too, I think the top 10, you know, probably once you get past the top two, whatever order you have it in, almost everybody who voted probably had the same 10 teams in there. It's Ivy League heavy, it's ACC heavy, you've got your two big 10 teams in there. And I walked away going, I'm looking at these 10 teams, and I had 10 at number 10. I'm thinking, 10, if they clean up their goalie play, but that's a team that really could be undefeated right now and would be the unanimous number one. It almost feels criminal to put them at 10. Every team in the top 10 has legitimate championship weekend potential, which makes the season fun. I'd say generally, once a team has a losing record, once we get later in the season, I just kick them out of the top 20 until they win a couple of games. Penn, I made the exception this week because just of what their schedule has been and uh, who their losses have been to. And they, I mean, they're legit. At least the Ivy. I mean, we know the ACC is good. The Ivy looks as good as they've been, and I can't remember how long. And I think a lot of that's because uh, of Princeton's resurgence and Michael Sowers. I mean, he's the best player in the country right now, and this guy's this guy's must watch on the college lacrosse field. Yeah, he's the guy that grows the game. He's the guy that when you watch, you're saying, "Whoa." He's the guy that dazzled. The numbers were off the charts. He was putting up eight, nine points a game, ten and a half points a game, I think, right now. He's on pace to break Lyle Thompson's single-season points record before they get to the Ivy League tournament. Just, just digest that for a minute. I mean, that's, that's the kind of season he's having. But 
there's another factor with Ivy League success, and that is they're starting to flex some financial muscle. So most of these schools have ridiculous endowments, right? You're talking billions of dollars. I think Yale has a $4 billion endowment. And, you know, you kind of get into the nitty-gritty. Well, how are they recruiting and getting some of these kids that maybe normally would go to a Syracuse or a Duke or, or, you know, some of these schools where it costs more to play? Well, a lot of these Ivy League schools, I know Yale, for, for instance, has a system where if a family is making $150,000 or less per year, uh, tuition is fully covered. So you're only on the hook of the remaining cost of attendance, right? Room and board books. Um, that really allows you to kind of split your scholarship money. And that's how you go get a Ben Reeves and you go get a Bet- Matt Gaudet and some of these guys who, again, um, if Syracuse is recruiting them and you're saying, hey, we'll give you, what, a half scholarship? I mean, that, that's still thirty five, thirty thousand 30000 plus per year where for a fraction of that, you're telling me you can go to Yale. Um, I would not minimize the impact that has had on raising the level of Olympic sports, not just uh, in lacrosse, but but across the Ivy League. And, and certainly uh, it's been a boom for lacrosse, and I think teams are kind of catching on to what, what Yale did. And it's funny, like we used to think of the Ivy League as, you know, the guys with two last names and, you know, wearing bow ties and, and sweater vests and cardigans. They've now become the blue collar league in lacrosse, as weird as that sounds, because they're able to tap into some of these kids, um, again, who grew up playing public school lacrosse, who may not have the means to play at private schools where tuition is higher, even with some of these subsidized scholarships. So um, they've taken advantage of that, and they've, they've flexed some financial muscle with their endowment money. And these troughs, I guess, on the Burdick Toyota guest line, it seems as though Yale in particular has really stepped it up, and Cornell, just one recruit like a Jeff Teat, can make mm-hmm. a difference. He's uh, that good and that uh, fun to watch on the field, as you guys have, have laid out. German Shepherd, we work in there with, Anish, uh, right? If, Oh, we got we have a we have the tree guys in the backyard. We had a tree come down. Okay, so, you know somebody's got to protect the house from from the tree guys. Okay, does wanted to fee or she had a vote in the poll or any anything like that? Wanted to share <laughs> share any further? Probably still one for Yale. You know, I stay in the family. <laughs> That's right. Man. That's right. Dogs to dogs. Cuse uh, and Hopkins uh, this week, and uh, Johns Hopkins checks in actually with a losing record. You're talking about the strength of the Big Ten for the moment they are not it, and that is a uh, Saturday game at uh, 1 o'clock. What do you see happening there in Baltimore this weekend? You know, Johns Hopkins, they're in some trouble. Um, I've always been a big fan of Dave Petromala. He's in the last year of his contract. They're 1-3. and three. Um, If they lose, you're looking at the worst five-game start in the 130-plus-year history of John Hopkins lacrosse. Um, the talent-wise, they just don't have uh, the type of talent you're accustomed to from that program. Uh, their best player has been banged up. It's Joey Epstein. He was the top freshman attackman in the country last year. He was supposed to kind of deliver this program out of the doldrums. And, you know, he's banged up. He's wearing a knee brace. He just can't move. And that has affected the entire offense. Uh, they've really struggled in goal. Uh, they face a team in Syracuse, which put a lot of shots on goal. I mean, Brian, uh, can you remember the last time? You had a Syracuse team that, that attacks the goal with as much artillery as this one? Uh, no, is the quick answer. 50 and 60 shots a game. Yeah, I mean, but it's also they put 75% of their shots on cage last game, which is a, a crazy number. 
Yeah, I mean, and they have so many weapons. The first midfield is, in my opinion, the best in the country. All three of those guys um, are worthy of getting a long pole assignment. Chase Scanlon gives them something on attack that they haven't had in recent years, a dynamic score. You know, you already have five guys or four guys who've scored five goals in a game, and we're only four games into the season. So it's a tough matchup for Hopkins, but... Yeah, I'm writing a piece for U.S. Lacrosse Magazine that'll pop in tomorrow, and I've talked to a lot of Hopkins and Syracuse guys over the last couple of weeks. The common denominator that I got from both sides in this game was this is the game that brings out the best. This is the rivalry game where you face the best on the other side, and it doesn't matter what the records are, and I hate to use the throw-out-the-records cliche, but this is the game that brings out the best in you. I'm curious if we can see that from Hopkins, because that's just not a program you're used to seeing. Forget being unranked. They didn't even get votes in the poll. Coming off back-to-back seven-loss you know, outcomes, um, it's hard to watch right now. And Syracuse, on the other hand, a team that had kind of been toiling in mediocrity the last few years has has stepped it up. And I think we can safely say Syracuse is back. But uh, blue blood sell in this sport. You know, when Hopkins is good, when Princeton is good like they are now, and Syracuse is good, that gets more people to come to the sport. So we need both programs (laughs) at the top of their game. But I think – for lacrosse as a whole, it's good to see that one in front of Syracuse, you see the three in front of Princeton. Um, it's kind of a throwback to, to those halcyon days 20 years ago. Uh, Anisha, you bri- briefly touched on the Orange first midfield line. We, we've seen, I mean, maybe better talents of other lines or a better pair or something. I mean, in, in recent memory, I, I think of like Deemer's class and Miles Jones at Duke, a great pair. I don't remember who the third guy was. <laughs> But, and I mean, just talk, you go way back, the Gate Brothers. I mean, they were there, and, you know, you, don't, you didn't need somebody else. With, with this Syracuse line, I don't know if any of the three are quite as good as maybe as those players, but when you look at a, a Dordovic, uh, you look at a Curry, you look at a Tromboli together, what are other teams supposed to do about this when each of them is capable of being the best guy on a legit top midfield line? Well, nobody's figured that out just yet. Uh, you saw what they did against Army, where the midfield single-handedly won that game. Hobart uh, couldn't stop them. And, uh, you know, Curry last year, I thought, underwhelmed. He was inaccurate. He couldn't find the cage. We knew he could always beat his man. And it almost felt like watching Hakeem Leckie all over again, right? You see him draw the pole, uh, beat his man off the dodge, and then and then miss the cage. Well, he's finding the cage this year, and, and it's starting to click for him. So, well, now, you know, how do you defend his speed? Tucker Dordovic, the first few games, looked like somebody coming off an injury, and then it clicked for him against Hobart. He's a guy that demands a pull. And, oh, Brian, you've seen four years of, of Jamie Tromboli now. To me, he's the guy, he's the Rodney Dangerfield on this group. we got to stop using that reference, by the way. Like, young kids don't even know who Dangerfield is, but... All this guy does is come through with clutch goal after clutch goal. He's been a rock of consistency. I think I saw, you know, he's going to be what just the uh, he's going to be a hundred goal scorer or a hundred point scorer out of a midfield. The last two guys to do that were Marasco and Salcedo. So, you know, he's sort of the guy that people kind of sleep on. And and then you know the other part of it too is the second midfield line is so good it allows John Desco to really maneuver his rotation. So. Dordovic, Tromboli, and Curry are healthy, or I should say fresh, late in games, and you can you can deploy those guys. So it's, you know, that first midfield is the best in the country, and I can't remember seeing three 
that good. Um, like you said, there have been pairs before, but all three being that good, it's been a while. And I think, again, having an able second midfield, I'm on top of that. Boy, I mean, it's they've got a team this year where I think it's realistic to say if they don't get the championship weekend, you'd be disappointed, but I fully expect them to be there. Amen. We're all looking forward to that uh, Memorial Day weekend. Which cuts into Brian's vacation, so sorry about that. He'll get yeah, over it. true, huh? It'll just be the next three months after that. <laughs> I was going to say, he, See would, work it in. he would gladly uh, trade it off. And knowing Brian's golf game, he could use all the help he could get. But uh, That's why I need less time available in the summer so I don't show it off. It's, it's beyond uh, beyond repair at this point. All right, uh, Anish, have a great week, and uh, take care of the pup there in the back, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you down the line, okay? All right, you guys got it. See I will say this, the uh, Rodney Dangerfield uh, reference. Uh, Paul Carcaterra had a recent video where he was interviewing somebody uh, a college lacrosse player that didn't know about uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Yes. We're going to take that up with Tommy uh, Twitch only here uh, during the break. Back to uh, wrap the show with Do We Care and more in a moment. We're in the booth on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. You mentioned it earlier, Matt, but Tony Romo has signed a contract to stay with CBS worth $17 million a year, and the contract could be for as long as 10 years. Yeah, who's walking away from that? I mean, it's it's completely obscene. Good for him. I think Tony Romo is very, very good. We'll talk about this another time. I, I don't get into the party trick of predicting the play to the extent that other people do, but he's excellent. He's very hot commodity for CBS. I could see why they buck up for him. There was competition with ESPN, but that dollar figure is just astronomical. God bless him. I think I, uh, when we first talked about this, uh, whenever this was a few months ago, I think I made the argument that if I were Tony, I would stay for CBS for maybe slightly less, or if the numbers were just vaguely comparable because it's a better gig. That's not slightly less. <laughs> I don't know what ESPN was going to pony up, but it wasn't that. He I didn't mean, give him the hometown discount. I'd be mean, good, good for. He's making more money doing that than he now. No, I think ever did in the season of the Cowboys. And most of the players in the NFL. I mean, there's yeah. only going to be a couple making a few making more than that. It's, 2015. That's what he made as a starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Good for that's him. Insane. I mean, heck, he's he's good at it. He's clearly having a good time, and now he's going to be doing it for a long time. One of the so, best things you can say about him is that he really wants to be there. Yeah. He enjoys it. He's got the youthful enthusiasm. And I'm, I'm glad to see it continue. Now, it's not my money, so what do I care? But uh, it's a mind-blowing figure. Now, J.J. Watt actually tweeted about it and said if ESPN offers him the Monday Night Football job of this money, he would actually take it. Should ESPN be interested in J.J. Watt? You think? They have a, a million dollars a week? Right. <laughs> He's been hurt a lot lately. He's still yeah. a really good player, but... No ESPN guarantee he'd be any good. He'd probably be pretty good, but it's harder than people think. I think... A lot of people show that uh, in that that transition, but it's kind of our uh, our little bone to pick. Okay, uh, that brings this show to a close. No show tomorrow, says the door. We're back on uh, Wednesday after tomorrow's game. We'll recap it. Mike Waters will move from Thursday to Wednesday because there's no Thursday show. That's all you really need to know. Just keep take it day by day, people. We'll we'll keep you posted. Women's basketball Thursday for Tommy and Brian. I'm Matt. Enjoy the rest of the day, everybody.